Go on then. What are we watching? Oh, what about... Uh... In the... Uh, with Sky Stream. The new way to get Sky without a dish. Stream unmissable Sky exclusives like True Detective and Netflix shows like The Gentleman all in one place. For just €25 a month for 12 months. Search Sky Stream today. New customers only. 12-month minimum term requires broadband. Further terms apply. Are you feeling lucky this St. Patrick's Day? Easy Living Furniture has a pot of gold waiting for you with absolutely everything reduced across sofa, dining, bedroom, mattress and accessories. Get the three-seater dark grey Harper sofa for only 459 Donut 240-centimetre dining table for only 289 and much more. Don't miss out on these lucky savings at Easy Living Furniture. Find your local store online at easylivingfurniture.ie Listen and follow the Left Wing Rugby podcast with me, Will Slattery and Luke Fitzgerald. I'm, I'm conscious I don't want to climb too hard into this Irish team. They've had a bad day out and it still took the last kick of the game and a pretty poorly managed last two minutes to beat them. So it's the same thing as the kind of New Zealand game. But I think, you know, you'd be, you would be a little bit concerned about in the big ones, what, what are they thinking? Are, are, you know, what's the kind of introspection like this week? And I think, by the way, uh, if that meeting was pretty tough on the players... I think the coaching staff will need to have a real look at themselves as well. Every week on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like the Indo Daily, you can follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Our Earth has existed for 45 million centuries, but this one is special. It's the first where in one species, as has the planet's future in its hands. You've spoken out saying that AI could manipulate or possibly figure out a way to kill humans? How could it kill humans? Over nearly all of Earth's history, threats have come from nature. Disease, earthquakes, asteroids, and so forth. But from now on, the worst dangers come from us. In the past week, unmistakable evidence has established the fact that a series of offensive missile sites is now in preparation against the Western Hemisphere. Yeah, a fire disaster unfolding in Hawaii right now. As Ukraine succeeds on the battlefield, Vladimir Putin is becoming embarrassed and pushed into a corner. Survivors and emergency crews are describing the scenes as apocalyptic. Some tourists even forced to dive into the ocean just to escape the ferocious flame. And I wonder, Mr. President, what you would say to him if he is considering using chemical or tactical nuclear weapons. Don't, don't. In 2023, the doomsday clock dropped down in time to 90 seconds from 12. In other words, 90 seconds away from global annihilation. I'm Tabitha Monaghan, and with the time for 2024's clock soon to be unveiled, I speak with SJ Beard, Senior Research Associate at the Centre for the Study of Existential Risk at Cambridge University, to discuss what has brought us so close to the end of human existence and if there's any way of turning back time. SJ, the doomsday clock, it's now only 90 seconds away from hitting 12 on the dial. For those unfamiliar, can you tell us what that means and whether we should be worried? So the doomsday clock is a symbol which tries to capture the current precarious state of humanity's existential situation. 
the likelihood that something absolutely terrible at a global scale might happen. That might involve human extinction, but it will certainly involve a level of harm and disaster that we have never seen before. And it's set every year to a time which reflects an assessment of the level of danger. But across all the years, the major issue is how, how adequate is global discussions, political negotiations, diplomatic negotiations, how adequate do they appear to uh, address the challenges that we perceive uh, in the world? And the closer it is until to midnight, the, the more the danger is. So there's this idea that midnight is the apocalypse and we're, we're ticking closer and closer and it's up to us to turn back the hands of the clock. So the clock was created in 1947. Scientists who worked on the Manhattan Project. Now I am become deaf. People most recently would be familiar with that after seeing Oppenheimer. What propelled these scientists to create this kind of visual representation? Yeah, so a lot of scientists who'd worked on the Manhattan Project were really concerned about what they'd done. And they were really concerned about the way that their scientific research had been taken over by by military and political elites who they felt were not accountable to ordinary people who didn't really understand what was going on. So... Uh, a group of Manhattan Project scientists set up the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists to try and inform and educate people about nuclear science and nuclear weapons and stimulate a public debate about how they should be managed and, and ideally not used, but you know what, what role they play in society and the military. And they needed a cover. They needed a cover to make the Bulletin look attractive and interesting. And they commissioned one um this graphic designer, Myrtle Langsdorf, to, to design a cover for the magazine. And she came up with this idea of a clock. Uh, she said that the imagery of the clock is that it will inevitably tick forwards unless we set its hands backwards. So she didn't go with like a mushroom cloud or a nuclear warhead or, or something that directly uh, symbolized the nuclear technology. What she wanted was to symbolize our power and the consequences of us not actively working for um, peace, disarmament, and, and, and non, non-weapons use. SJ, the clock has been in operation for nearly 80 years, and I know we're not in a good place now, but it does often change and fluctuate. So what kind of historical incidents would have seen the dial move closer to 12 or even further away from 12? Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's beautiful because it's, a, and it's an example of what we call mimetic evolution. It's a symbol that has been adapted to, to take account of a variety of different things uh, over time. And, and the idea of setting the clock to a time, you know, that was, it's been a slow process. First the editor did it, and now they get a group of scientists every year to, to set what they think the clock should be for that year. And to begin with, it was dominated by uh, nuclear weapons. So it was at two minutes to midnight, which until very recently was the closest it had ever been in, in 1952, following the um the invention of the hydrogen bomb, which is much more powerful than the atomic weapons used in uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And at that point, we had really these incredibly dangerous weapons, and both the US and the USSR had them, and there was no real dialogue or attempt to control their use. And, and there was just a sense of utter hopelessness. How are we going to resolve this? So that's the worst it's ever been. And the thing that always determines how it moves is, in a sense, how well people rise to the challenge of controlling the weapons. There were some really interesting changes. So 1963, for instance, the year after the Cuban Missile Crisis, which 
for many of us was the most perilous moment in all of human history. The clock gets moved back. It gets moved away from midnight by five minutes. And the reason for that is that the Cuban Missile Crisis was absolutely terrifying. But in its wake, Kennedy and Khrushchev, and then, you know, after Kennedy's assassination, other members of the American administration started to talk to each other. Good evening. This is Walter Cronkite at CBS News headquarters in New York. Well, at its beginning, this day looked as though it might be one of armed conflict between Soviet vessels and American warships on the sea lanes leading to Cuba. But there has been no confrontation, as far as we know, and some hope has been generated by suggestions of negotiation. <laughs> they engaged in much more diplomacy. They passed new treaties, and they actually broke up to the risk. And because of that, the clock got moved back a long way. It's been at its furthest from midnight in the early 90s after both the kind of the, the there was a bunch of nuclear treaties signed in 1980s and then the collapse of the Soviet Union and the ending of the Cold War. We got to 17 minutes to midnight. Take a look at them. They've been there since last night. They are here in the thousands. They are here in the tens of thousands. Occasionally they shout, Die Mauer muss weg, the wall must go. Thousands and thousands of West Germans come to make the point that the wall has suddenly become irrelevant something, as you can see, almost a party on. And actually, for a while, the bulletin didn't even have it on their cover anymore. It wasn't their symbol because we were we were too safe. It just didn't look very dangerous anymore. So they, they stopped using it. But it's back now. What we're seeing now is that the, the challenges are going up, right? We still got nuclear weapons. Now climate change is, is also an existential threat. We've got a lot of disruptive technologies. Those are really worrying. And there just isn't the, the global discourse to to meet those challenges. So we're kind of back to where we were in the early 1950s. It's very poor uh, relationship between, uh, you know, Russia and the USA, and there's very little successful global diplomatic efforts. But we now have many more challenges, which is why the clock is now even closer, because we're trying to resolve you know, nuclear weapons and climate change and disruptive technologies all at the same time. You mentioned there the the nuclear aspect of it, which obviously was the founding reason for why the doomsday clock came about in the first place. Where are we at now in terms of nuclear annihilation in 2024? You know, there's kind of three elements to this. There's the global diplomacy, which is bad. You know, the, the relationships are bad. There are, there are proxy wars being fought. There is a lot of global concern about the relationship between nuclear powers. There is the the control of the weapons themselves, the international treaties on nuclear testing, on the size of nuclear arsenals. But, you know, all of those have really stalled. Uh, there's, there's very little forward movement on any kind of nuclear diplomacy to control the weapons. But we also have a third thing now, which is the the creation of new technology to go alongside nuclear weapons. So we've got more more automated guidance systems, potentially more automated launch systems, which is an absolutely terrifying idea, removing humans from the loop. We really don't want to see that happen, but that's something a lot of countries are looking at. Uh, we've also got new new technologies like hypersonic missiles, which more easily evade countermeasures and more likely to make it through. Um, you know, give countries a greater sense of, of security, but also defensive measures. So there's there's concern about countries using satellites to create defense against nuclear weapons that are too strong. So they feel like, well, maybe we could use nuclear weapons without there being a counter-strike. And the most important thing with a nuclear weapon is no one ever feels that this is a viable option in war. Well, however bad it gets, you don't feel as people did in 1945 that we should use these now because that it's so dangerous with so many nuclear weapons and them being in so many different countries' hands. 
once they get used, there is really no turning back. It changed the face of war unlike anything since World War II. You've mentioned climate change uh, a number of times because it wasn't actually always part of the doomsday calculations. But then also we have the biological threats. Mysterious pneumonia outbreak in Wuhan, China. A new type of coronavirus. The number of affected countries has tripled. The World Health Organization has just declared that this is a pandemic. The, certainly the emergence of a new pathogen is like, that's just a matter of time. You know, we, we are seeing in real time uh, new bird flu strains entering the population, definitely infect mammals, definitely transmissible between mammals, definitely infect humans now, some isolated cases of transmission between humans. Uh, the, you know, m- genetic mutations required for uh, an avian flu strain, a new avian flu strain to uh, spill over into human populations are getting closer and closer all the time. How long it will take for that that kind of final piece of the puzzle is to fall into place and, and we're having to deal with another pandemic it's hard to tell it could happen tomorrow it could happen in a couple of decades but it will happen uh what i worry about is the social implications so people are really negative about our responses to covid and with good reasons there were many things that could be done that would have helped but i think for people like me it was just remarkable to see the world actually adopting behavior change at scale so quickly I, I really felt very optimistic for our species at that moment in time. And I, I know that this was so tough for so many people, but people did it. And it really did save a lot of lives. And the problem that we have now is you always get the pushback. You know, people saw that, like, I'm never going to fall for that again. You know, and, and you have groups and social movements who are now really well organized about, we will not stand for this if this is required again. Now, you know, 20, 30 years down the line, we'll have a completely new situation and, and you know, all bets are off as to how we respond to that. But if we were to have a, a new bird flu outbreak tomorrow, I'm really worried that we could not have that coordinated global response and that the initial casualties in that, in many ways, most dangerous first wave where we don't really know what we're up against, uh, could be a lot worse. Yeah. You did mention modern technology in relation to nuclear weapons. But also there's the chat around modern technologies, generative AI, especially when ChatGPT came out last year and what that meant for humanity. Is that another um, is that another threat that is reflected in the doomsday clock? Yes. So again, disruptive technologies have been considered as, as an important part of this equation for, for a few years now. Then we do worry about AI. Um, the the way that it solves problems, not its kind of IQ score, but the way that it works is getting so sophisticated and so kind of mysterious at the moment. We know that it works. We we know roughly how it works, but it's actually very hard to know now how particular decisions are being made, why particular things are happening. Um, you know, we, we have the, what you call it the challenge of explainability, but it's just knowing how the system is working. It's really really taxing. And so knowing what the, its implications are when this is released and used at scale, um, it does feel like these are going to be really transformative to society uh, and to our economy. But whether that will be good or bad, it's 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 hard to say. And it's really scary to see these technologies being so widely used so uncritically when we just don't know what they're going to do. 
And it is also the pace of the development as well, I think is quite scary how how quickly it is growing and improving, which I think does terrify people quite a bit. But a question that I am genuinely afraid of asking you now is what happens when the doomsday clock actually hits midnight? What does global annihilation look like? You know, this I think is a really tough thing for people because we've all seen the end of the world. We all know what it looks like, right? It's so many books, movies, television shows have shown us what it looks like. Skynet. A computer program designed to automate missile defense. It was supposed to protect us, but that's not what happened. You know, it's not going to be some nice cinematic explosive disaster with heroes and villains and we all know what's going on. It, it's going to be complex and messy. And I suspect that a lot of people who think of themselves as being really good people are going to be actively participating and actively supporting whatever the problem is, be that the use of untested technology or, or you know, um, it, contributing to climate change or, you know, global flag waving that leads to a nuclear war. We we will all be involved in really active and really messy ways. And it's kind of only in hindsight, if you're lucky, that you realize what's happened. The people who, who are involved in, in civilization collapses don't know necessarily that they're in the collapse of a civilization. It's only historically when you look back uh, these uh, these monuments are left behind like, oh my goodness, you know, what, what happened? And actually, we're in that situation now. You know, we all just need to repeat to ourselves, <laughs> you know, several times a day, a nuclear war can never be won and must never be fought. I think that's such a wise thing to say. You know, we all need to remember climate change is not a hoax. It really is real. And everything that we do makes it very, very, very slightly worse. When we add up, people very, very, very slightly worse to all add up into really very terrible. And is that, that's definitely the challenge for climate scientists as well. We hear that quite a lot. So it's trying to get that message across to people and them not wanting to just shy away from it because it's so difficult for people to comprehend. But when they announce the new time for the doomsday clock this year, do you expect there will be a significant jump one way or the other? Uh, no, we're, we're all betting on a, a staying still, which is absolutely terrifying. It, it's staying at the worst time it's been in history is not an outcome that any of us want to see. But yeah, there, there are there are some very troubling signs. You know, the, the, the war in the Middle East, the continuing deterioration of uh, political discourse around the world, you know, countries just falling over themselves in polarization and you know, fragmentation at the international scale. But we, we also do see some good things. I think the Inflation Reduction Act, this huge investment in climate change, it is only realizing plans that were already in place, but it's still good to see those actually coming into existence. And there are lots of people who are working very hard to prevent this slide into uh, international fragmentation and conflict. It's just that we haven't seen many fruits of that yet. So I think we will see it stay the same and will be I would be surprised if they move it. SJ, my final question is for you. How do you find dealing and confronting these issues day to day? Because this is what your job is. I know I found it somewhat difficult just researching for this podcast, but you're doing this every day. Honestly, I consider myself to be incredibly lucky. I am the sort of person, I'm very curious, I'm very interested in the world around me, and I would be worried about this stuff, whatever happens. Uh, but I have a, you know, the luxury 
of doing a job that means every day I am thinking about how to how to overcome these problems. And I often say to people, I kind of wish we were called the center for the study of existential hope rather than the center for the study of existential risk, because the risk is real. <laughs> you know, um, global catastrophes could happen at any time. One could happen tomorrow. It would only take a you know a few. Missteps at the global stage and nuclear weapons will be <laughs> heading over our skies. But we can also work to reduce this risk. And that is what people like me are trying to do. And, and just, I'm incredibly fortunate to have that peace of mind, or not necessarily peace of mind, but that sense of agency, that sense of doing what I can. You know, I don't want people to be scared. I don't want people to feel that they need to hide behind the duvet and, you know, hope that this is all just going to go away. I want your hope to be in action. I want your hope to be in thinking about ways that things could be better and working to make those realities. And that's where we find the answer to this risk and this fear and this dread, which pervades so many of us. And, and that when you start looking at this, you just feel more and more is actually in reflecting upon the purpose of this research and the purpose of our work is to someday have everyone wake up and not have to worry about climate change or nuclear weapons or AI or any of this stuff, because we can just go on with being humans. And my thanks to SJ Bard for joining me today. I'm Tabitha Monaghan, and today's episode of the Indo-Daily was produced by Ian Doyle, researched by Adriana Rona, with sound by Rory Bones and John Smith. Archive clips from the BBC, Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists, TED Talks and the Irish Independent. If you enjoyed the Indo-Daily, don't forget to like, follow and leave us a review. Go on then. What are we watching? Oh, what about uh, in the uh, with Sky Stream, the new way to get Sky without a dish. Stream unmissable Sky exclusives like True Detective and Netflix shows like The Gentleman, all in one place for just twenty five euro a month for twelve months. Search Sky Stream today. New customers only. Twelve month minimum term requires broadband. Further terms apply.